more with the panel on RNZ National. We have Julie Woods with us today from Dunedin, professional speaker, also ambassador for Blind Low Vision New Zealand, who is in. Also Raj Chakraborty, novelist, short story writer, soon to be children's author as well, based here in Wellington. And we're talking about, amongst other things, how much it costs to go to the dentist, an arm and a leg, I think. Uh, about 40% of us can't go because of the cost. So is it something that you can't afford? And what kind of situation have you ended up in as a result of having to put off that visit to the dentist? 2101 to get in touch with us here at RNZ National on the panel and let us know what your story is there. Also interested in what you've got to say on the situation with bank profits. Um, Each and every one of us contributes $2,000 a year to those bank profits. So is that... A reasonable amount? Is that fair enough? It's a business. Should that be the sort of situation that we're in? And where's Kiwi Bank in all of this? We'll be talking about that a little bit later on after 4.30. Uh, but certainly 2101 to text us in the studio and email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Now, nine minutes past four. Uh, Kia ora anō to all of you. Thanks for joining us today on RNZ National. And we're going to be looking at the situation with the state of national emergency over Northland, Auckland, Waikato and the Tararua district. That's been lifted. Uh, It has been in place since the 14th of February. A transition period now in place, uh, going from the emergency situation to one of recovery. We'll talk through all of this now with Roger Ball, Acting Director, Civil Defence Emergency Management, on the panel with us. Kia ora, Roger. Thank you for joining us. Kia ora, Susie. Thanks. So what does this mean in practical terms, that we've gone from emergency to recovery in some parts of the country? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a, it's a good sign of progress and um, moving ahead into the next phase. So for the, those areas, uh, as you say, Northland, Auckland, Waikato uh, regions, and also Tararua District, um, the state of national emergency as it applied there is, has ended. Uh, and immediately um, the Minister, uh, Kieran McInulty, uh, declared those areas to be under what's called a national transition um, notice uh, for recovery. And, um, and and just to, to add, uh, Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay remain under, uh, still under a state of national emergency for their areas because it's still required. Um, but what it means is for those that have gone into that recovery phase, um, first of all, um, it, it means that uh, the powers are still available to recovery managers to be able to do things if they need to, like close roads and dispose of contaminated goods or um, uh, exclude people from certain areas that might be dangerous, those sorts of things. So they still have authority to do things. Um, but the focus of uh, the next, uh, you know, that 90-day transition period, and, and maybe, you know, it'll need to be extended, not sure yet, but the, the focus of the, of the next period will be about, uh, you know, restoring services, building things back, um, attending to those deep uh, needs of the community. Mm. So I guess this is where some pretty gnarly decisions could start to be made over the next few weeks, I assume, rather than days. But in the next sort of short order, this is where people will start to have that quarter about is there going to be managed retreat when we build back? Are we building back in the same place? I think those conversations are going to come up, um, obviously, 
and you know it's not my role to to sort of preempt that and and uh, um, but within the space of those um, recovery conversations and, and they're going to go across you know what we call the the four environments you know um, social um, economic the built environment the natural environment um, those larger questions about you know where we live and how we use our land um, I'm sure will come up um, and you know and because they're um, sort of all of if you like community and all of government questions and and and, and conversations that's why in this case uh, the government's taken a decision to establish a you know a minister for cyclone recovery and a cabinet committee for that and there, there's a task force uh, led by Sir Brian Roche which has been asked to provide independent advice through to to ministers and and um, you know and, and a cyclone recovery unit is being set up so for my organisation as NEMA, you know, previously Buller floods, Marlborough floods, Nelson Tasman, that sort of thing, you know, we'd, we'd just sort of lead that out. But in this case, it's got to be an all of government approach because there's an all of community conversation around, you know, those big risk questions about where we're going for the future. Does this then mean also that um, the funding changes or is this a, a an opportunity for more money for the recovery to be kind of freed up and, and starting for that to be distributed? Um, uh, you're asking whether, because we're under a national transition period, yeah. does the funding change? N- not really. Um, it, it doesn't. Um, and it's a little bit like when you have a declaration of emergency. And In, in fact, uh, that doesn't change the funding that's available or the resources that will be applied. Um, the, it, it really is a, it's a formal step around uh, allocating, a, a legis- opening a legislative responsibility and legislative powers to those people who, and it's the statutory roles, you know, a national recovery manager and regional recovery managers so that they can, if they need to, they can do those things that I mentioned before around closing a road or excluding people from dangerous areas or disposing of contaminated goods. The funding mechanisms will be locked or unlocked uh, depending on on other considerations, uh, depending basically on the need and and the need to, uh, you know, restore things or assist the community. How long might this recovery phase last? Um, I'm seeing um, this. <laughs> that's, that, how long is a piece of string? I'm seeing, yes. I'm seeing it in years. Okay, so you know when I look back on the history of natural disaster events in New Zealand and you know Kaikoura response and Canterbury earthquake response, very different. Okay, so hard to compare apple, you know, apples and oranges. Um, but those were multi-year. Um, um, events and in terms of the recovery process that happened afterwards and there'll be elements of this that can be done quite quickly and swiftly but there'll be other elements that will take um, you know um, months and years to see through. Some places um, even within these areas that have had the state of national emergency lifted are in quite different situations Um, and so I guess it will be a little bit patchy across the country for a while. Yeah, well, that's true. So, you know, um, what we've got is something quite unique at the moment. We've got this concurrent uh, situation where we've got a state of national emergency in place for two regions, Tairafte and Hawke's Bay, but concurrently uh, we've got a, a, a national transition period for recovery, you know, in, in some other parts. Uh, and, um, you know, what we're hoping is that eventually, obviously, Tairafte and Hawke's Bay will come into that, that recovery phase as well. And, and I'm on the ground here in Napier again today. They're making great progress, but they're, they're going to be in, in, in the sort of urgent response phase for a little bit longer. Um, so, yeah, it, it is um, it is unusual, um, but um, there's a lot of people pouring a lot of, you know, hard work and talent in, into this, and, and, um, and, and we'll get there. From your perspective, is this a point where you 
perhaps are able to ease back a little bit and your staff are able to ease back a little bit on, I assume, the very long hours, the great deal of work that people must have been doing over the last few weeks? Um, things have stabilised to the point now where in the bunker below the beehive, we don't have to run a night shift. We do still have staff who are on 24-7 um, in our watch and warn centre, so they cover the night as they always do. But you know, we've been able to drop back our sort of um, our normal shift overnight. Uh, here in the, the regional ECC, um, they're able to sort of um, ease back the nighttime stuff as well. So yes, that makes a big difference. It just allows people... Um, a little bit more time with families and and and, and to rest, um, uh, and 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 we, what we need to do is is consider, you know, all of those elements around, uh, you know, the holistic needs of of all the responders and it's it's contractors, it's uh, iwi Māori, you know, networks who are sort of running very hard still um, in this part of the world and and across the board with agencies. We saw it in COVID. We've got to watch out. We don't burn out our our people. Yeah, absolutely. Just hang in there for us, Roger. We're going to go to our panel. Julie Woods, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, I mean, it's been real hard yakka and it still is for Tairafti, for, um, you know, Gisborne, for Hawke's Bay and that kind of thing. But um, nonetheless, Julie, a little bit of good news here that for some places um, there is the movement and, and people are beginning to move into this next phase. I know it's painted as a positive thing, but could it be um, construed by those on the ground, the people that feel they have are being left behind? Um, you know, could it be seen as a negative thing that they're going to be forgotten? What do you think, Roger? I don't think that moving into recovery phase, uh, you know, I, I couldn't see that as a signal that anybody's going to be forgotten. Um, and there are communities that are remote, still cut off um, in, in the west coast of Auckland and, and in parts of Hawke's Bay and, and places in between. Um, but I think that it's important that the local CDM groups uh, and and those local councils and agencies do have access to, to powers that they can use if they need to. So that if they need to, you know, requisition something or um, close a road because it's dangerous, um, that they can do that. And that's when those decisions are taken, they're not taken lightly and they're taken for the benefit of public safety and the community. Raj, what I do you think? Is this a... Oh, sorry, Julie, I'm cutting across sorry. you. On you go. I was just going to say that some people will be feeling like they're in their own state of emergency for, for now and for a very long time to come. Yeah, and, and I can understand that, Julie, and I'm sure that at, at a personal level, um, you know, there'll be still great concern about... Um, what's going to be there for me and my whanau um, in, mm. in, in the next steps in the weeks and, and months ahead. And um, so that's, the, that's the, the, the burden and the duty on, on um, us as public officials is to make sure people don't get left behind um, and, and people who work in civil defence and people who work in these um, responding agencies, whether it's, uh, you know, Fatu Order and, um, you know, the other agencies involved. And, and today I was out at King's, uh, church where I saw the Pacifica response. You know, nobody wants to leave anybody behind. Raj, if I can bring you in at this point, uh, what's your take on all of this? Um, I also had a, a couple of questions for Roger. One being um, for him to uh, speak a bit more about how he sees things on the ground in Tairafiti and Hawke's Bay, which are still in a state of emergency. And, um, and the second is um, how he 
um, kind of contemplates the scale of the rebuild that will be necessary. I mean, one of the things that's truly mind-boggling to me is, you know, like how many kinds of rebuilding will be necessary and how many people will be needed for that and whether we have the skilled uh, manpower available in the country um, to rebuild everyone, uh, to rebuild in every region at the same pace. Um, so just mm. those were the questions I had. Yeah, Roger, what do you think? Yeah, so I was in at the um, the emergency coordination centre in Napier, um, and and I'm now at the distribution centre which they run here, and been back here a couple of times now. It's so it's still a big operation. Um, I haven't been in Tairawhiti, um for for a few days, but but um, similar issues going on, which is um, lots of people and communities still um, isolated. What we know is um, that they're okay for food and water and things like that, generally speaking. Now, so that's not really the issue. It's about getting fuel in, uh, and 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 for farmers and um, those on the land, um, it's that question of you know what to do with stock and milk and um, and those sorts of things. So bridges and restoring roads is is such an important um, thing. And and you know we've got a community in Waira which is uh, isolated from its. Um, you know, normally it's part of the Hawke's Bay sort of regional coordination sort of function for civil defence, but but really um, needing a lot of support now from Tairawhiti. Um Silk cleanup is really um, top of the list for um, a lot of people, and the cost of that as a burden on on councils is is you know coming to the fore. So we've got to have a conversation around that, mm. and and just making sure that the welfare support coming through and that has come through, and and you know in the last. You know, what while since the emergency started from Ewe groups and Pacifica groups and so on is 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 captured so that that we can have a conversation around. You know, well that shouldn't just fall on your people to, um, you know, to to compensate for. So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff, and um, uh, it's it's a long way from over. Raj, to your second question, I mean, um, I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on 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 a deep expert on the questions you've raised. Um, so I, I I might sort of punt that one to. Sir Brian Roche and, and, and the minister for some comment. Right, um, right. Because, it, and it's not that I'm trying to avoid you but um, on that, but, but it is just truly so big. And I think we're still at the stage of not yet having, um, I can see the various seeding groups of, of, are doing their transition to recovery plans. Mm. That's the first step. And then once they've handed off to their recovery managers, they'll, they'll then form basically a bit of a recovery plan mm. which will cover those four environments that I talked about before, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be able to sort of quantify, I think, at a rolled-up national level um, what this looks like in terms of the bill and, and the, you know, the, the resource that's going to be needed to, mm. to uh, fix things. Look, appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the panel on RNZ National. That is the Acting Director of Civil Defence Emergency Management, Roger Ball. Appreciate your time today. And you are listening to the panel. Uh, we have Raj Chakraborty and Julie Woods with us today. I'm Susie Ferguson. In for Wallace Chapman just for the day. And now shortly we're going to be talking about how pricey it is to go to the dentist. But first we're going to stick with uh, the situation in uh, Muriwai. Uh, in West Auckland, of course, cyclone-affected homes there. And how a public meeting last night didn't seem to offer many answers to the very many questions that people had. Um, What is it that people can do as they try to pick up the pieces of their lives? Well, joining us now on the panel, Dr Andrew Hubbard from the Citizens Advice Bureau. Kia ora. Kia ora, 
Now, clearly, this for very many people is a very difficult situation. But what do you do? What best advice do you have for people when they're out of their homes, but yet they're not in a situation where they can get uh, an insurance payout, um, but they still have to find themselves accommodation? It's a pretty difficult one to square, isn't it? It is a really difficult one to square, and I think you know it's acknowledging it's a really difficult situation for people to be in, and in a very stressful time for people. And and there are no easy answers. Um, you know there are, there are some services available to to try and help people um, with temporary accommodation. Um, so there is um, a, a an MB run temporary accommodation service that can assist people um, affected by. Um, natural disasters both in Murawai but in, in wide areas as well um, but they are under a lot of pressure at the moment um, and what we're seeing is we're seeing quite a few people who have, who have kind of arranged temporary accommodation with friends or family and uh, are now feeling like they can't stay, stay there for, for too much longer and, and mm. looking at what the alternatives are. It's really difficult when you don't have that certainty. Well this is the hard thing as well because you think well do I, do I continue to stay somewhere for the next week or so? Or do I take out a lease on, on somewhere, which then I'm going to have to try and pay for, while at the same time I'm paying for, you know, perhaps my, my rent or my mortgage and my rates and all the rest of it? It's like, where does Absolutely. the money come from? Absolutely. So we, we would definitely encourage people to have a, a really clear conversation with your insurance companies at this point around. Uh, lots of, if, you, if you do have insurance, lots of um, cover does include uh, temporary accommodation. Um, it's going to depend on individual circumstances whether that's available now or not. But certainly, you know, reaching out to your insurance company and, and having that conversation about um, what might be available and and what support you might be able to get from them would be a, a, a good start. What about the situation for schooling? Are children best if they're able to um, sort of carry on where they are doing online learning, if that's a possibility for the family, or what about enrolling in? A different school is that something that people can kind of chop and change with? I mean, it's going to depend so much on people's individual circumstances, and of course, you know, lots of people who are looking for, um, you know, temporary additional uh, accommodation won't necessarily be in the same area as their, as their school. You know, we've seen that um, people are, are moving to various parts of Auckland for the temporary accommodation, and so that that's another another stress on people. Um, and really, I guess one of the things that we emphasise is that, you know, it's such a difficult and stressful time and so many things to juggle that having, you know, finding someone to sit down and talk to these through these things with, is, it can be really helpful. And um, whether it's friends or family or, you know, someone like um, CAB, because we can, we can just kind of help people work through in their own minds, um, you know, what, what they want to, what they want to do next. Certainly a good advice to, try to lay it all out and have a have a bit of a conversation with someone whoever that may be bringing you in here julie woods on this one i mean the situation that many people are in extraordinarily difficult and it's a real rock and a hard place that many people are caught between well it's an extraordinary change that people find themselves in and often people aren't sure you know which way to move and it's great that Andrew and CAB are there for people when they want to reach out and ask for help and not quite sure where to go so thank you Andrew for for being there for everybody. Raj if I can talk to you on this one I mean clearly um, the land is literally still moving in some places and it's not clear 
how long people may be in this situation for. Do you think that it, that the councils involved here are communicating well with people or are there things that perhaps could be done more to, to help reassure? I mean, you know, from the story, you understand people's desperation for answers, but you also understand that some of those answers cannot truly in all good faith be given immediately. Um, um, and the story gives us a glimpse of the crises that people are going through that are unimaginable to the rest of us. I mean, there was a line in the article that uh, moved me very much about the community meeting, which was, uh, it said, quote, the place is heavy with emotion, unquote. Um, and, you know, my request to the, the only thing I could think to say that would be useful is my request to the media would be don't let their stories disappear from view because that is one way all of the media can help by by keeping their stories visible, by making their voices heard and kind of continually reminding us and the authorities of the the very long aftermath of such an event. Absolutely. Well, look, thank you very much, Andrew Hubbard from Citizens Advice for being with us today on the panel. Time now at 29 minutes past four. Let's just sneak in before the headlines to talk a little bit about dentistry. A report published last year revealed that 40% of New Zealanders don't address their needs for dental care due to the cost of visiting a dentist. Furthermore, about a quarter of a million New Zealand adults have had teeth removed due to unaddressed decay. Now, there's one particular Christchurch mother recently telling the New Zealand Herald... Uh, that uh, two years ago she spent weeks in pain waiting for an appointment. She had bleeding gums, she had fillings falling out, the lot really, and wasn't able to afford the two necessary follow-up appointments. So to this day she's continuing to face pain and sensitivity. It's not a unique story. Panellists, if I can talk to you about this one. I mean, the cost of going to the dentist, um, we were talking about this in the office earlier, and one of my colleagues was saying she went in to get just a, you know, kind of a hygiene um, check and have her teeth cleaned and that kind of thing and, and an x-ray. And, you know, 400, and, 400 odd dollars later, she left thinking, you know, how she'd managed to spend all that money so fast. Um, the price of going to the dentist, Raj, is it is it getting out of hand here? Um I mean, I couldn't agree more about the cost issue. I don't know if we'll have time before the news, but... I myself have had a couple of times when an emergency situation has forced me to go along and I could just about pay for those, but then couldn't keep up or afford the recommended follow-ups. So um, afterwards, I'll tell you a little bit about my own plan B, but um, I totally relate to um, only going when it's an emergency and then not being able to even contemplate the recommended follow-ups. Julie, what do you think needs to be done here? Does the government need to, to step in because ultimately this is healthcare? If I was the Minister of Health, Susie, I would make dental care free for everybody because it's such a vital um, health issue and the mouth is the pathway to the rest of our body. It's just so important. In Dunedin, of course, we have the Otago Dental School mm. and uh, over 20,000 Dunedin people are able to access um, affordable dental care and that would be a great model to roll out around the country. Yeah, it's pretty pricey though. I think back in 2020, so I'm sure, as with everything, the price has gone up, but the Ministry of Health was estimating the cost 
cost of extending free dental care to adults would be $648 million per year. Uh, You know, I guess we've got to find the money somewhere. But Raj, do you think that this is just money we've got to find down the back of the sofa or wherever else? Absolutely. And I think even partial support or targeted support would be a significant first step, um, you know, for for certain parts, uh, lower income families or um, um, younger people, uh, even that would be a significant first step. Um, mm. And tell me about your plan B. Well, in my own case, I'm very fortunate to have this plan B that, you know, whenever I'm able to make it to India to see my family, I get checked up by my our family dentist whose checkup fees are $10 and then it's a bit more for any further advanced work. But, you know, of course, most people here don't have that option of relying on a bit of dental tourism to India. So that's what I have relied on for um, just the regular checkups. Thank you very much. Raj Chakraborty there. Also, Julie Woods with us on the panel today. Let us know what your situation is with dentistry. 2101 to text us here in the studio.